just thankful uh, for those that are able to uh, get it and bring it in, and uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we will be having uh, the uh, tree decorating uh, after church today, and we also will be having our luncheon this afternoon as well. And so uh, if, uh, if you weren't uh, prepared for that, would, you're welcome just the same. And uh, love to have everyone here this morning uh, come to lunch with us and also uh, help us decorate the tree afterwards. Uh, let's see, any other, Dean has an announcement, but are there any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Yes, Donna. You, wonderful, wonderful. There's usually more than enough to go around, so. All right, uh, any other announcements? Dean. Morning, church. Um, I just had a couple announcements. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> um, one of them is uh, I wanted to talk briefly about the Deacon's Fund. Um, we have a, um, a good amount in the Deacon's Fund. And Pastor Steve always said that we should be running at about zero. Um, so I, I think there's a couple of things we can look at there where we need some people to help. If they need, we know of anybody that needs help from our little church, we'd love to be able to help. And the only way we know is if we hear it from our, our congregation and also the community. So if there's anybody you know that may need some help out there, just um, please... Uh, you know, talk to one of the deacons or the pastor or the trustees. Um, anybody can get involved in that. Um, the other one is that uh, more of a trustee thing. Um, he just left, but Luther and all the leaders in the church, we switched some money around to finish the, the work in the parsonage there for the winter to be able to get it closed up. Um, it's something we don't like to do, and I wanted to make sure I told that to the church. Um, so we're transparent with that, that we did talk to all the leaders and we were all in agreement of doing it. And we'll talk more about that at the business meeting. But if you have any questions about that, you know, come to the deacons or any of the trustees. Um, I would like to read something from Second Chronicles 31, 4 and 5. He, he who ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priest and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and, and the honey, and all the fields were produced. They brought a great amount and a tithe of everything. The reason why I wanted to read that is because we, a, a small church, we give generously and and a lot of people give everything they can and and if that's where you're at and that's great and the most important part is to give 
from your heart and the Lord calls you to give. If that doesn't happen, that's okay. We'll, we'll, somebody else will give that amount that's needed because the Lord will provide. And, and I think that's important for all of us to know that we've done a lot in this church in the last four or five years. And that, you know, in and out of a small church, it's just amazing of what we have done. So I wanted to thank all of everybody in here, the members, and also the outside of the, the church, people that have donated to the church and gave to the church. It's just been outstanding. So I wanted to say that. And thank you. There's a, a card here. I didn't know if that was anything. Oh, no, just for it. Okay. All right. Okay. Amen. God has certainly blessed our our little church here, and uh, in so many ways, and with the all of the work that we've been able to uh, get, all the work that has been able to be done uh, in the last few years is uh, just been wonderful and uh, and a real blessing. And we just uh, praise God for that. Let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given to us, the opportunity that we have to come to your house and worship and adore you and learn from your word that we might be more like you. And again, as Dean has already said, we are so thankful for this congregation this congregation that has uh, given, that gives so generously, and, and we just want to praise you for that. And uh, we pray that you would continue uh, to meet our needs, and uh, there will always be wants. And uh, but we pray that you would uh, watch over us and and provide for our needs. Uh, and again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to fellowship with other believers. We thank you for this time of year, this Christmas time of year, where your son Jesus came, that he might give his life as a ransom for many. So we pray that you would help us to remember the, uh, the importance of this season and the reason for this season. And as that saying goes, Jesus is the reason for the season. Pray to it again. Watch over us this morning. We just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 81. If you'd like to turn and follow along with me, that is Psalm 81, and that would be number 460 in your pew Bible in front of you, if you'd like to follow along. Psalm 81, we'll sing the, uh, I will be reading the first three verses. I will not be singing any of that. Psalm 81, all right. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. 
Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feasting day. Amen. Sing aloud to God. Amen. So as we do that, let's turn in our green books to number 24, and let's sing aloud to the Lord. Number 24 in your green book, let's stand and sing. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell on its plains. Upon the dark seas its foundations are laid, and deep in the rivers its moorings are stayed.
Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to give back a portion of what you've given to us. We pray that you would take the offering, that you would multiply it, that we'd use it to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're now in the second week of Advent on our countdown towards Christmas. Advent is a season of anticipation um, as we anticipate the coming of Christmas. Um, Advent, as I said last week, means coming. It means arrival. And so in this season of Advent, we both remember Christ's first Advent, his first coming, and we anticipate his second coming. I'm going to read a couple of passages from the prophet Isaiah this morning as a way of setting the stage for our, um, our remembrance of, of Advent. These passages and many others in the book of the prophet Isaiah would have been meditated on and wondered over by the people of Israel as they awaited their Messiah in the years before the coming of Christ. And these passages, as we think through them, these are fulfilled first in the first coming of Christ, and also there's parts of this that won't be fulfilled until Christ comes again. These are Messiah passages. These are about Jesus, both about what he came to do in his first coming and about what he'll come to do in his second. So let's begin in Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the coastlands to the sea. And then Isaiah 65 Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. This is page 585 in your pew Bibles. 
Hear the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his years. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall enjoy, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Now if we could stand and sing number 245, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and let's sing the first and the last verses, and then we will go right into number 244 on the opposite page, and we'll sing both of the verses. So let's stand and sing the first and last verses of 245, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mourns in 
244 right across the page, please. Thank you. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. Let's see, I don't see any prayer slips in the offering. Uh, any prayer requests, thanksgivings, praises we want to bring to the Lord this morning? Donna. Amen. We'll pray for, for Jane, who's not with us this morning. She's suffering from dizziness. So we'll pray for her and for Shirley Freeman as well, who's still in the hospital as, as far as I know. Yeah. Anything else? Anita. pray for Doris, who's 96 and in the hospital suffering from some ail ailments. We'll pray for her. Yeah, we'll pray for Moxie Palmer, who's continuing to suffer from medical issues. Maureen?
We'll pray for Corinne Parody, um, who's having issues with her, her tailbone having been removed. And we'll praise the Lord with you, Maureen, for a, 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 a supper that your niece Sarah put on last night. Amen. Allison. pray for the Wyman and the Hannon family and for and for Dot um, uh, who who have lost a loved one Trevor passed away right right we'll continue to lift Dot up for that anything else we can come to the Lord with this morning amen Let's go to our God together. Oh Lord, our God, our Father, we come to you in the words of the psalmist and we say it is good to give you thanks, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. We are here to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. We confess, Father, you have made us glad by your work. At the works of your hands, we sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are beyond our comprehension. You, O Lord, reign on high forever. Your throne is established from of old and you are from everlasting to everlasting. Help us to sit in awe of your majesty this morning, God, to be overwhelmed by your greatness. As we ponder your power, your righteousness, your glory, we are made poignantly, keenly aware of our shortcomings of our sin. We confess, Father, that in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions this week that we have sinned and done wrong. Consciously and unconsciously, we have acted wickedly, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've rebelled against you and we have not obeyed your voice by following the way you have set before us in your word. And so we, we would ask, O oh God, that you would have mercy on us according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God.
hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins if we are in Christ, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We thank you, Father, for the salvation you show us in Jesus. For all of us who come to you, confess our sins and turn from our ways, trusting in Jesus, you forgive us and cleanse us. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you'd set us on the right path. We ask that you'd make us more and more like Jesus each day. Lord, as we come into this season of celebration, we have much to be thankful for and we also know many who are in need of your help. And as we come with the, um, with the weight of those we care about on our hearts, we thank you for the understanding that, that you know these situations far better than we do. Yet you know these pains, these hurts, physical, emotional, more keenly even than we do. And so, we come to you this morning and we ask in Jesus' name that you, would, that you would be at work in the lives of those we love. Father, we pray your blessing over these physical ailments, knowing that you are the great physician, knowing that you can and do powerfully answer prayer. And yet we ask these things knowing, too, that in this world our bodies will ultimately decay. And that our final and ultimate hope is resurrection life with you. And so I pray, Lord, not just for the bodies of these dear ones that they would be healed, but also for their hearts. That in their hearts and their minds, with their whole being, they would turn to you and trust you. And find life and strength, not just for this life, but for eternity. Father, I praise you and I thank you for all the blessings of this season. Even as the weather gets colder outside, I'm reminded and made more grateful for a place to be, for a home, for the warmth of the family that dwells inside of it. Thankful for those who are close to me. Thankful for food. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us this holiday season, that even in the midst of busyness, we would celebrate you, that as we, uh, as we feast and as we give gifts and as we deck the halls, that we would do it to your glory, that we would do it joyfully, knowing that Christ has come and that Christ is co coming again, that you would adorn our feasting 
with joy. And we praise you with, with our sister Anita, who says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We know, Lord, that everything we have, every good gift is from the Father above. And so we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for everything you've given us. We pray that you'd watch over us now as we go throughout the rest of our service, that you'd be at work here among us. There is no higher, no higher thing we can ask than that you would be here and that you would be at work among us. Unless the Lord builds this house, those who build it labor in vain. And so we ask, Lord, that as we go to your word, as we continue to sing praises, as we go to take the Lord's Supper together, that you would be at work in our hearts, that more keenly, day by day, you would enable us to have a feeling sense of the love of Jesus Christ and of the joy of knowing the gospel, that you would open up your word to us, that it would be living, that it would not be dry, but that it would come to life in our minds and hearts. May your kingdom come and your will be done in this room as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand with me, open your green book to number 203. We'll sing, Yet Not I. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is I 
Thank you. Thank you for that, friends. It's always a blessing to hear you sing. Remind, remind me of these great truths. You can open your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. It was Christmas Day in 1863 that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow penned the words of a poem that has come to become one of the most beloved Christmas carols, hymns of the Christmas season. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And as he heard the church bells ringing outside his house, he, he penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill 
to men. Right? These are the, the words the angels sang to the shepherds on the night that Christ was born. Peace on earth, goodwill among men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then the song takes a turn. The song is not all joy. It was 1863. It was the middle of the Civil War. The nation was rent apart. Longfellow's family had been rent apart. His wife had died only a couple of years earlier. And then that summer... His son, contrary to his wishes, had gone off to war without his knowing and had been wounded only very recently. And in that atmosphere, against the backdrop of the brokenness and darkness of this present world, Longfellow wrote the third verse, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this to me sums up well the tension of the Christmas season. We live between the two advents of Christ. We live looking back on Christ's first coming, on the, the humility of God to be born a man in a manger, to grow and then to die for the sake of his people, to die for our sins. And we, we live in rejoicing as a result of his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We live in joy as a result of all of that and all that Christ has accomplished, our forgiveness, our redemption, the promise of eternal life, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And yet, at the same time, we live in a world which has not yet been renewed. We live in a world that is still under the curse of sin. We live in bodies that are still under the curse of sin. We live lives where the flesh still clings on and we have not yet been freed from this awful temptation to sin. And so I think to some degree we can relate to Longfellow's dissonance here. He hears the bells ringing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, and then he looks around and he says, this world is so broken. And verse 4 is where the resolution comes for Longfellow. We do not live merely in light of the first coming, but also of the second coming of Christ. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow is not specific with his hope here, but he says, I know God is not dead. He is alive. Amen. And ultimately, the wrong shall fail, the right shall prevail. And as I read these verses, my mind jumps forward to the second coming of Christ. 
Because of all the great promises of the Messiah in Isaiah, much has been fulfilled, but much has yet to be fulfilled. Christ has accomplished much, but his work is not yet done. And the promise of Scripture is that one day Christ will come again and he will finish his work. The wrong shall fail on that day. Darkness will be banished. Death will die. And Jesus will make all things new. This is our hope. Life between the Advents. Celebrating the first. Longing for the second. What we find in 2 Peter 3 is the Apostle Peter exhorting us to understand the coming of Christ. He's going to make clear, Jesus is coming again. The day of the Lord will come. And what I would want us to understand from this passage is that we should be on the watch. We should be looking out to be ready for his coming, to be anticipating the second advent of Christ. And so what I want us to do this morning is to, to look at what Peter tells us here about the second coming of Christ. What should we be looking forward to, and how should we live in the light of this fact? Let's read our passage together, and then we'll pray. We'll, we'll start in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. It's the Apostle Peter. He's writing to Christians. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we long for you to speak to us, to encourage us as we make our way as pilgrims in this world which has not yet been made our home. We ask, Father, that you'd teach us faithfulness. We ask, Father, that you'd make the blazing reality of Christ's coming seared on our minds and our hearts, that we would long for it, that we would hasten it, that we'd live in light of it. Teach us this morning by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I want to answer three questions this morning from 2 Peter 3 about how we should think about the second coming of Jesus. First, what will happen? Second, when will it happen? Third, how should we wait? Okay, what, when, how? What will happen? When will it happen? How should we wait? First, what will happen? What will it be like when Jesus returns? And Peter gives us an answer here. We should note that as we come to this passage, Peter's writing um, in opposition to scoffers he knows will come. He, he tells these Christians he's writing to, he says, look, as we wait for Jesus, don't be surprised when people start scoffing at what you believe about the return of Christ. They'll, they'll come and they will say, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? Come on now. This is in the first century, but they're saying, come on now, it's been, what, 30 years, 40 years since Jesus left, and you say he's coming back again? And Now here we are in the 21st century. Scoffers say, what, what has it been, 2,000 years since Christ ascended? Where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. There's two arguments here. The first one's just a scoff, like, well, where is he? He's coming back. The second one is, um, is a very interesting one where Peter anticipates these people are going to come and they're going to make an argument based on the continuity of the universe. They're going to say, hey, look around. When have we ever seen God work in such a, a pointed way as you think he's going to? to come back and bring judgment. Ever since God made the world, things have just continued on. Creation's basically a clock, and it's just going to go on ticking. And Peter's going to correct both of these arguments. First, he handles the second one. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter says, these people who are scoffing and saying, when have we seen God work so mightily? They're deliberately overlooking the facts, right? That God made the world by the power of his word. And that not too long afterward, 
He flooded the world. He's alluding here to the flood in the days of Noah. He's saying, God's fully able to intervene in the world and to bring judgment. Just look at Noah. And he's able to do it by the power of the same word that he used to make all things in the beginning. And so he, he says, look, God, by the power of the word, made the world. God, by the power of the word, judged the world in the days of Noah by water. And he says, God's just as powerful. The word is just as able. He's worked powerfully in history in the past, and he's going to do it again. He points forward, verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. What's going to happen when Christ returns? First, Peter tells us the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed. The image here is of fire. And the intent is to communicate this, this current world, heavens and earth, is going to be brought under judgment. Everything that exists in the heavens and earth that is contrary to the will of God will be done away with on that day in the fire of his wrath. The day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. thinking about Longfellow's words, this is actually the sort of thing that we long for in one sense. Um, actually, lots of people who are skeptics of Christianity will, will say, well, why has God allowed so much that's wrong to keep going on in the world? Why hasn't God intervened in judgment? Why doesn't God do away with the ungodly? fact is he's being patient and we'll talk more about that but if God were to intervene and to make all things right if God were to intervene today and bring judgment on all those who deserve judgment there wouldn't be a soul left apart from Christ by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly on that day everything which, which is contrary to the will of God will be destroyed removed cast into eternal fire. He goes on and continues to explain what's going to happen. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Not only will wickedness be judged, but wickedness will be exposed. This is like putting an a metal with impurities through the fire. Everything that's in it becomes clear. But not just destruction on that day. Verse 12, waiting for, the hastening, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But when Jesus comes, he will do away with the old heavens and the new earth and usher in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, right? where all things are made new. 
This is, this is the promise. This is what's going to happen when Christ returns. That's the first question. Second, when will it happen? When will it happen? Again, this is in, in response to the skeptics, to the scoffers who say, when? where is the promise of his coming? It's been decades. It's been centuries. Peter responds in verse 8. He says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The first reality Peter points to is the fact that God operates on a different time scale than we do. Or in other words, God is God and we are not. Time belongs to God. He invented it. We are time-bound creatures. We're limited by the horizon of our lives. The oldest of us might live to 100 or a little bit more. Most of us less. Our lives are short. In comparison to 1,000 years, right, that's put end to end, that's 10 very long lifetimes. Where in the normal span of human generation, that's 40 generations. A thousand years is hard for us to grasp. That's a long time. And yet Peter says, it's not a big deal for God. He's God. He has no beginning. He has no end. From ages to ages, he is God. For him, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. Now, this, this doesn't mean that God is either super slow or super fast. Because actually Peter says both, right? For him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The point is God isn't bound by time like we are. His timing is not ours. We should not be surprised that God's timing doesn't look like what we might expect from a human perspective. That's one note Peter makes on timing. And then in verse 9, he makes another one, maybe perhaps more poignantly. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Jesus, what's the delay? It's not slow, like some count slowness, but is patient toward you. The Lord is patient toward you. We see here the, the heart of God. Again, scoffers will come and say, why doesn't God just strike down the unright? Why doesn't God just do something about everything that's wrong in the world? And again, the fact is, if God were to do something about what's wrong in the world today, all the unrighteous would be gone. The delay, or the perceived delay of God, is actually the patience of God. Every day that goes by that Christ has not returned is a day in which God has decreed the salvation of sinners. Because God's desire is not merely to rid the world of unrighteousness and wickedness. He's going to do that. But also that from this dark world, God's plan and intention is to redeem for himself a people, once children of darkness, to become children of light. The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord's 
desire is that sinners would be saved, is that people would turn to him. The word here is repentance, change of mind, change of direction. The Lord in his love, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? This is what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. That when we were far from him, when we were running from him, when we had gone astray, when we had rebelled against him and gone our own way, God came after us in the person of Jesus Christ. That God himself was born into this world as a man that we might know him and that he might reveal to us the heart of God and that he might redeem us from our sins by his death and by his resurrection. This is the heart of God towards sinful humanity. God has come after us. And so should it be any surprise that God is patient towards us? That generation after generation, he allows people to go on besmirching his name, hating his word, hating his son, because he desires that they would be saved. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as comes some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let me ask you this morning, have you reached repentance? Or are you still in a place where you're in rebellion against God? It can be easy to presume that every day the Lord allows us to go on continuing in our sins is another day on which God pays no attention. Maybe he's fallen asleep. Or maybe there is no God. We can misinterpret the patience of God with the death of God or the sleepiness of God. But God is not dead, nor does he sleep. I would encourage you, if you do not know Christ, if you are still in your sins, do not misinterpret the patience of God. He is patient with you. But the day will come when Christ will return and the ungodly will be done away with. If you are not in Christ on that day, you will be subject to the fire. Turn to Christ. Turn to him. His arms are open. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the promise of Jesus. All who come to me, I will not turn away. Jesus is coming again. What will happen? The Lord will bring judgment on this world. This world will be done away with. He will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. All things will be made new. When will it happen? In his good time. <laughs> when he decides. And we should note here in verse 10 that we're told the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's in a time we do not know. We will not know the day or the hour. But he will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. What will happen? When will it happen? Finally, how then should we wait? How then should we wait for the coming of Christ? Verse 11. 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved. It's looking around at the world, since everything wrong will be done away with, since this world will be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He says, how should we live in light of the fact that fire is coming? Like In the days of Noah, he had to decide how he was going to live in light of the fact that water was coming. Better build a boat. In our day, we have to decide how we're going to live in light of the fact that fire is coming. The Apostle Peter speaks to this, I think, in 1 Corinthians 3, where he speaks about Christians, people who are genuinely saved, people who stand on the foundation of Christ, and he, he makes a distinction between those who build something that will last and those who build something that will fade away in the fire. There's ways of living our lives as Christians where what we do in this life will last for eternity. And there's ways of building our lives as Christians in this life where what we do will actually be burned away. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, coming of Christ, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Some house fires, everything's gone but the foundation. This is the case. Some Christians can be genuinely saved and then spend their lives building nothing of value. And then other Christians can spend their lives building something that will actually last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Are you building something by your life that will last through fire? If you're living your life continuing to pursue sinful and foolish passions, that will be burned away. It will be done away with. It won't last. But if you're doing something in this life, if all that you do is actually oriented toward the kingdom, toward the work of Jesus, towards pursuing his will for your life to become more like Jesus, to grow in holiness and righteousness, and to pursue his work and actually, and actually being a part of his kingdom work and bringing people into the kingdom, that'll last. That'll stand. That'll come through fire. And so in verse 11, Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He says, build even in your own character by the power of the Holy Spirit things that will last through fire. How much of your personality 
will last through the day of Christ? Or are we going to see you in heaven and say, thank God you're not like you were? How should we wait? We should wait in light of fire, and we should wait in light of hope. There's two sides of this coin. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he sets our eyes here on the positive. He says, things are going to be torn down, so keep that in mind as you're building something. And he says also, something there is going to be built that will stand for eternity a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so he says, all right, outfit yourself for the new city. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. As Christians, a part of what God is doing day by day is teaching us to hate what God hates. He's teaching us to see our sin clearly and to do battle with it by the power of the Spirit and to see it die in our lives. So some have called mortification. Day by day, we're, we're learning to put away sin, to put away that which will burn. But also day by day, what the Lord's will for you is, if you are a Christian, is to learn to love what is good, to approve what is righteous. And... This is what Peter instructs us in here. He says, we're waiting for a new earth, a new heavens, where righteousness dwells. So since you're waiting for that, be diligent to be found like that, without spot, without blemish. You're destined for a city of righteousness. So live like it. This is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of what we're praying is for Jesus to come back. But part of what we're praying for is that we would live more and more ready for him to come back. And that day by day, our lives would be more and more conformed to the will of God. And as we talked about last week, more and more conformed to the character of Christ. That as we learn to hate what is evil, we would learn to love what is good. Do we long for the righteousness of that city? Do we love that vision? It's like, Yes, righteousness forever. Do we love righteousness? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. How should we wait? We should wait in light of fire and we should wait in light of hope. The first advent and the second advent of Christ are not disconnected events. In Christ's first coming, he began what he will finish in his second coming. In his second coming, he will finish what he began in his first coming. In his first coming, as we're about to proclaim in the Lord's Supper, Jesus died for sinners that we would die to sin in him and be made righteous in him. And he rose again from the grave that we might be risen with him. And if you are a Christian, that's true of you. 
Christ's death is yours. You are dead to sin. Your sins are done away with. And Christ is making you alive in him day by day. This is the new birth. This is sanctification. Christ's death and resurrection are reverberating out through the world into the lives of people like you who are dying with Christ and being raised with him. And one day at his return, the death and resurrection of Christ will be applied not just to our hearts, but to our bodies as we are bodily raised with him. And not only to our bodies, but to the whole of the cosmos. The whole universe will die and be raised with Jesus Christ. This is what we're looking forward to. And this is the reality we're called to live into every day. Jesus is coming again. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we go to the table. Father, we, we're so grateful for the work that you are doing in this world. This world is dark, and our hearts are lost and broken and sinful and gone terribly wrong apart from you. But we thank you for the work that you are doing in Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the work you have begun. We thank you for the work you will finish. Please, Lord, enable us to live into the reality of what's coming day by day that that we would be fit for heaven to live with you there. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we go now to the table. We bless our celebration as we proclaim your death and your resurrection, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when we will celebrate it with you when you come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have the deacons uh, come up at this point as we go to the table. The Lord's Supper is a gift from Jesus. Um, He left it to the church, and he told us to do it. It's one of these things that Jesus has commanded. Do it, but it's a gift. And Christians around the world, even now, are gathering with each other on a Sunday, on a Lord's Day, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And as they pray and as they go to the Word, they're also going to the table And breaking bread, literally eating bread and drinking the cup, as a way of proclaiming what Christ has done through his body, which was broken on the cross, and his blood, which was shed for us. The bread and the cup are an outward sign, an outward picture of an inward reality as we eat the bread, which Jesus says, this is my body, as we drink the cup, which Jesus says, this is my blood, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus' body, Jesus' blood was broken, was shed for me, and what he accomplished on that cross, he's made effective in my life. We're proclaiming, I am in Christ. I've put my trust in him. One thing we don't proclaim when we come to the table is, I deserve this. This table is not about what we deserve. In fact, the only way you're eligible to come to this table is if you're willing to come and realizing, realize it's all of grace. It's all a gift. 
what we proclaim when we come to this table is, I am helpless apart from Jesus, but his body, his blood is more than sufficient for me. I'd want to encourage you to understand that the table is for those who are Christians. It's for those who've professed faith in Jesus Christ and ordinarily those who've been baptized. And so if that's you, I'd want to encourage you, you're welcome at this table. If that's not you, if you're not a Christian, you haven't, been, haven't put your faith in him, I'd want you to know it's not as if Jesus is standoffish in his hospitality. If you would come, his his salvation is more than available for you if you would come. So if you want to talk to someone about what it would look like for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to turn to him and to be forgiven and to be welcome at his table, we'd love, uh, I or one of the deacons or anyone here would be welcome to, to talk to you about that after the service. Uh, but for now, if you're not a Christian, I'd ask that you refrain from coming to the table. Paul warns in his letter to the Corinthians, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This is a joyful celebration. We also want to take it seriously. John 6, beginning in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Kevin, would you pray for us as we go to eat the bread?
tray, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand together. Jesus Christ, our Savior, died. He was raised from the dead, and he is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing together. Thank you, Lord. 
God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. We'd love for you to stay afterwards and to have share a meal with us and decorate the Christmas tree. Good to be here. So far, so far, so good.